Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. Jason Budd acquired a 45-year-old software company last year right as COVID hit. He was a self-funded searcher who had worked in corporate for years, but he saw the moment in his career when it felt right to take a leap and work for himself. You'll hear me get excited when he talks about someone influential in his life sending him a podcast about buying businesses and how listening to that podcast really opened his eyes and sort of set him on the path. No, it wasn't Acquiring Minds. That was before this pod existed. But still, hopefully Acquiring Minds will serve the same purpose in somebody else's life. Anyway, that anecdote and the rest of the story with Jason Budd. Jason Budd, thank you for joining me today on Acquiring Minds. Thank you for having me, Will. You're the president of Metasystems, which is a 45-year-old software company, which 45 years old is, 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 is a good lifespan for any company, particularly in software, not many 45-year-old software companies around. So, uh, But you yourself are more recently recent to the company. You acquired it in March of last year, COVID March 2020. So I imagine there's, there's a lot to say there. Uh, but before we get into that story of your acquisition of Metasystems, Give us two minutes on you and what led you to want to go out there and find a business to buy. Great. Well, first of all, thanks, Will, for having me on. Really uh, looking forward to our interview in our session today. So, um, you know, my background uh, is I have an engineering background uh, ever since I was in high school, really started doing uh, engineering related activities. And, you know, and with that was a lot of process engineering, had a career in you know, process control, a lot of manufacturing company uh, work, design, that sort of thing. But really, ever since, um, ever since really my college days, I, I've had, you know, quite a bit of uh, entrepreneurial sort of spirit and mindedness. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you ask my wife, I'm always been working on some sort of project. And, and incidentally, a lot of those were software related projects. Uh, and, over the course of time, no matter where I found myself, whether it was in college working at the student union related offices, I was finding some way to to do something different, uh, build some tool that would help. And over the okay. course of my career, no matter where I was working, whether it was on the production floor or in the engineering office or in management, I was saying, how can we improve the way we're doing things, um, and especially via software? And so, uh, over the course of that, I've always been one that thinks, you know, creatively enjoys doing the what ifs, uh, what about this, and uh, just challenging uh, the way the world works, challenging the way, you know, we do things. And uh, as you can see, you know, in, in any sort of environment or organization, uh, depending on the organization that might work well, that might not work so well. But I found in my case that it worked really well and it, it helped me to to see a lot of different areas. And so as I progressed throughout my career and learned more about uh, the corporate world, learned more about business. Um, I, I came across an opportunity that said, this is a good time. If I'm going to go build something, you know, let's go build something of my own. And so that's sort of turned into once that light clicked, I had some influencers in my life that helped point me that direction. Hey, have you really thought about buying a business? Hmm. Um, that was the moment uh, sort of that it, it, it clicked and I was all in. So you, you had kind of a moment in your career where you felt like it was a natural point to go out there and, and scratch that entrepreneurial itch. Yeah. And, but why, and why was it um, buy something rather than build something from scratch? 
Yeah, good question. So, uh, you know, building things are very hard. And, you know, being somebody that's got a family, uh, three three young kids, uh, it's hard enough to build something as it is and make it successful. Uh, it's even harder when you've got a busy life. And, and so if you can find something that's stable, that's been around the block a time or two, uh, yeah. and that's got 40, a decent, 45 years. At 45 years, and it's got a good cash flow, then the risk is much lower um, and, and the reward could be a lot higher, at least sooner. And so, as I mentioned a little bit, I had toyed around with different things and it just takes a lot of time and to, to market it, to provide it. And it's not always just about building a product, but it's finding the customer and and having a compelling time to, to introduce it to them. And so, that's a, that's a big challenge. And so, finding an existing business that was prime uh, to go on to the next uh, chapter was the perfect yeah. scenario for me. Did you did you realize, did you know that like about being able to finance with an SBA loan, um, the acquisition of a small business? I mean, did you have people in your network who had acquired a business? Because all those things that you just said certainly sound good. But if you were yeah. like me, I didn't realize, I just thought acquiring a business was something that only an already rich person could do. I didn't you know, know all about the SBA financing that of course I've, I've now learned. Sure. How, how is it even on your radar to think that you could go out and buy six, seven figure business? Yeah, so I I had somebody that I had worked with in the past, um, and you know he was uh, um, very influential for me in my career, and he was the person that said, "Hey, you know, have you considered doing this?" He pointed me to a podcast. I can't remember the name of which it was, but it was it was about uh, the process of business buying, and it was very much aligned with search funds and and that sort of approach, uh, mm-hmm. which is not the approach I ended up taking, but mm-hmm. um, you know that it was that person. And who what had a lot of respect for, still do. Who one you pointed to me to that podcast that started the journey in terms of thinking about it, but also the fact that that person uh, had confidence in me as well that I could do it. Sort of was yeah. just helped the alignment of the stars, if you will, to um, to really take that plunge. Well, I'm I'm very pleased to hear that it was listening to a single podcast episode. I feel like you teed me up perfectly for this comment. Hey, no problem. Uh, <laughs> it was a single podcast episode that opened your eyes uh, because obviously acquiring minds, like every single one of these these interviews that I have uh, should serve as an inspiration to people who are very, very early in their awareness about business buying, just like you were at that time. So that's that's great to hear that that it can be so influential. Um so you okay? So you you make this decision that you want to buy a business with the, with the advice and the, the the kind of nudging of this influential person in your life, listening to the podcast, going down the rabbit hole. What what comes next? What is your search like? What does your search look like? Yeah. So the the search was literally just hey, you know, I grew up in the technology world. I said let's go to the internet and you know businesses for sale. See what that happens. The podcast did point me to a book. Um, which uh, talked about uh, the business buying and financing process. Like I said, it was very much aligned with the search fund process, but that that focused more on the due diligence and acquisition process, not so much the finding it. But you know, went yeah. to the internet, found with that, um, ultimately found you know a business buying brokerage uh, uh, in a an organization um, who promotes uh, essentially business buying, right? Because you know he he himself who started this and is leading this. Is himself a business broker, so it's in his interest to promote business buying, of course, but also yeah. uh, just educating people. And so he would host networking events, business buying breakfast that brought together uh, brokers, 
uh, bankers, uh, as well as attorneys who specialized in that space. And so just a function of that networking and getting connected with online brokerage websites, uh, that's really how I started to refine uh, the companies that were available. And uh, sometimes it was, you know, they might know of a company, you get to know them a little bit, and they'd express the willingness to even say, hey, if I come across something, I'll let you know that might align with your skill set. So you were looking at online brokerages, probably all the usual suspects that we've named on here many times, but you were also doing something local. You were going to these breakfasts hosted by a local business broker who brought together people. Sounds like he brought together service providers in the, in the ecosystem, not so much buyers themselves or sellers even. Yeah. So no, it was very much intended. The intended audience of the seminar was people interested in business buying and okay. The, the key presenters, if you will, would be these mm. service providers that would mm-hmm. sort of, that would talk through the process. Um, you know, the, like I said, the lenders might be SBA lender, for example, and mm-hmm. um, things like that. And and where was it? Where where are you based, or where did this process happen? Yeah, so that was happening uh, in the Columbus, Ohio metro area. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. So, okay. So you, you're putting yourself out there. You're networking locally. You're, you're on these business brokerage websites. So how do you happen upon Metasystems? Yeah. So it was through one of those uh, business brokerage websites that I had seen it. Uh, and it was, it was actually really uh, interesting how it all unfolded. I, I had looked at several different companies. What I was targeting was around, I said, okay, I have an engineering degree, um, experience in manufacturing, uh, over the course of my career, as I told you, I was doing a lot with software and business intelligence mm-hmm. and building systems and tools to help them. I was also involved in a lot of ERP. Uh, for a time, I was the ERP product owner uh, for the company I was working for. Uh, the company I was working for got acquired and I was involved in um, you know, integration of companies and that included ERP integrations, things like that. So I was doing a lot of work at the time in this space. And so when I came across it, that was felt like a very natural fit. And uh, my affinity for software, it sort of really spoke out to me as well. Uh, I wasn't limiting my search to that, though. As I mentioned, it was something in the manufacturing space. I looked at machine shops. I looked at other places that did, you know, light industrial, um, you know, manufacturing or assembly. And so, you know, I had I by the time I sort of said Metasystems would be my number one, I sort of had maybe seven to 10 businesses that I was working on getting the financials for the initial packages for review and refining it that way to meet those initial high level qualifications. So ERP manufacturing, this was kind of like you wanted to be touching this in some way, but the business itself that you acquired might be software, touching it might actually be a manufacturer. You were looking at all that. That's and right. what was your, what, can you tell us what your financial criteria was or any, any of the kind of the, yeah, the, the quantitative metrics of your acquisition? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, of, of course it had to be something that would support uh, a loan, right? Cause I knew I'd have to do that. Um, as well as something that, you know, knowing that I was going to be ending up in the SBA space by that, that point, you know, I had to know that I could support it from my down payment, you know, uh, sort of faculties that I had available to me. So mm-hmm. um, that sort of limited it probably in the, you know, one to $3 million range in terms of um, price. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you did go the SBA loan route. That's right. Yep. And actually this would be a good time. So what, what does Metasystems do exactly? 
Yeah. So Metasystems, we are uh, an ERP software provider. And what we do is, you know, it's ERP for those who don't really know is software that typically not uh, manufacturers might run their business on. Uh, so it's the full uh, integration between not just manufacturing orders, parts, bills of materials, uh, planning, purchasing, but also integrating that into the financial system. So it's highly embedded so you can do your payroll based off of it. Uh, it's really the full suite, full suite of managing your business. Um, and we we have a focus on highly engineered solutions. You know, there are some products that are more aligned to retail operations, some that are more aligned to distribution. Ours is very much focused on uh, sort of engineered to order, configured to order, made to order uh, sort of uh, companies that have a very maybe a very complex or deep build material and are, uh, a lot of shop for emphasis um, in their environment. And so uh, that's that's the gist of what an ERP. Uh, uh, software is. Yeah. I mean, so I, is the reason that it's been able to survive as long as it has is because it, it's so custom to this niche, because I would imagine in this ERP world that there would kind of like in the CRM world, there would be some real dominant players. Although actually in the CRM world, there's Salesforce and then there are some big players, but there's a very long tail of smaller providers as well. So maybe it's, maybe it is kind of like that. Well, absolutely, uh, and and as you know, you know, being in this sort of business, a small business world as well, is that uh, it is it. You know, you hear this saying a lot that small business is the backbone of America, and it's true. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really hard to appreciate just how true that is. Uh, and so, once mm -hmm. you once you open your eyes to the world of small business and acquisitions, you realize there are so many of these companies that do exist and that do exchange hands, and and sometimes. You know the sellers are ill-equipped because they haven't had a good sort of exit strategy over time. But I bring that up just to say that in the software world, there for every company out there they need some software that they're running their business on. It could be mm -hmm. a lightweight accounting tool. It could be a, a strictly more operations oriented. And so I think you know this is a this is a product that has evolved over over decades. Uh, started off on very uh, legacy database systems and has imported and sort of brought forward over time. And so with that, um, uh, we've been able to preserve these really powerful features that uh, some modern SaaS-oriented systems just don't have, right? It has depth, right, and breadth over a 45-year built solution. And so that, that appeals to, um, to the companies that have very wide needs, and okay. if I'm a if I'm very lightweight manufacturer and if I'm just trying to track inventory, that's great. But if I really am trying to do a deep cost accounting, inventory management, perpetual inventory, with very solid you know month end controls, uh, you know for auditing purposes, uh, then we have all those those features that you're you're gonna you're gonna need. As I hear you talk about this, you're using a lot of manufacturing phrasing phrasing and vocabulary that I'm unfamiliar with. So it does seem like. Um, I, you know, one of the interesting questions in small business acquisition is always how much the the prospective acquirer needs to really understand the inner workings of the business they're acquiring. Um, they'll eventually need to understand if they acquire that business. Of course, they'll need to learn those inner workings. But how much do they need to know before they even acquire? Could could I have acquired Metasystems not knowing? Really, frankly, anything about manufacturing, or was this? Did, did it really take? Was was Jason Bud really the sort of person that needed to buy this business? You know, that's a that's a good question. I think I'll answer it in two different ways. Uh, the first being, um, 
depending on what your financing situation looks like, right? Because as part of the process, right, if you're going to go out and find a lender, the lender has got to get comfortable, not with the financials, but they, they want to get comfortable with the fact that, that you are now running this business. Maybe yeah. if it's got a very uh, tenured and longstanding management team, they would be more open to a hands-off, right? But for a company that's small like ours, that is, um, uh, you know, not, not as you know, a more shallow management structure, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they're going to be looking for as part of the lending process and their due diligence. You know, are you are you sort of qualified? And do they have confidence that you can do it. And then, of course, from the other side of it, um, could you will knowing nothing come in and do this, setting the financing aside? Um, you know, for my take coming into this. You you could uh, you would have a very hard time, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, keeping uh, keeping it going in the right direction without much experience in manufacturing at all. Because you know a lot of what we do and uh, is really partner with our clients. And to your earlier question about how has it survived this long, is because we really don't we're not a commoditized approach to software. We we don't say here's our product off the shelf. You buy it, click the install. Um, Here's the the lots of documentation on exactly how it works. Go click it and good luck. You know, mm-hmm. we take a very much approach of we have a, a core aspect of our solution, the accounting, the work order management, the cost controls, the manufacturing elements, right? And then where we typically find the most diversity in people's business is, is not so much in the manufacturing. Sure, they have their own processes and trade secrets of them building the thing. But at the end of the day, the fact that I've got to build material and I'm tracking right, material and labor and service costs and overhead, things like that, you know, that's all true. And so, you know, typically, no matter what variety there is in their manufacturing process, you know, we can make that work in our tool. Where we see even more variety, though, is the fact that, you know, I've got these different companies, like I mentioned, configured to order, et cetera, where the most diversity and complexity is often in the sales uh, the sales cycle, because I, I've got a models and options approach where you can get this, but here's all the options you can get. And how does that go into the link, not only into building a sales price, but ultimately translating into a work order that I have to ultimately build. And so we tend to to focus on clients that you know need a little bit of customization on the front end side of it. Um, and then we just partner with them to make it really efficient. Uh, so a lot of systems, and uh, not to belabor this point, but a lot of systems do everything just kind of okay. We try to do the very uh, special needs of our of our clients, do what they need to do that makes them stand out from their competition, do that really well. So, so there's just a lot of upfront custom work that you do. Is that what I'm hearing? Maybe. It just kind of depends. Now being the fact that we are 45 years uh, into this, we have lots of features. And so sometimes we have conversations with clients that say, well, what does it do? And you know, we chuckle a little bit and we say, we can, you name it, we can probably do it. But <laughs> tell us more about what you're trying to do and we'll help you, you know, get it done in the right the right way. And so we do a lot of configuration. We spend time, a lot of time up front trying to understand the business. And we like to say, we try to get to know the, the businesses as if we work there. You know, that, that just sounds like a, it sounds like a lot of work, but it sounds like a great investment because you're, you're probably on the other side of, of the sales process. So embedded in your clients workflows and in their businesses that uh, your retention is probably something to envy. 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, like you said, we want to partner with them really well. And then, you know, companies need to change a lot. And so we like to keep close contact, you know, working with them regularly because as they have attrition turnover in their workforce and their, their needs change or, you know, things like 2020 and 2021 hit, they need to yeah. be dynamic and they respond to the market. Uh, you know, there's the work harder, there's the work smarter approaches. And, you know, companies realize that, you know, software is here to stay. And if we can have something that helps us be more process-based and less people-based, uh, that's a win-win. Going back to the acquisition itself. So what was your, what was your due diligence like? Like, how did you, how did you get comfortable uh, that Metasystems was a healthy, a healthy company that, that you wanted to pull the trigger on? Sure. Yeah. So uh, a couple of things with that, you know, uh, I had a really good, a couple of different partners in that, you know, uh, one, of course, the, the lenders are going to help you in that some sense, they're going to get comfortable for their own reasons. Um, but then also, you know, you think about it, at the end of the day, they're looking out for their interests. Uh, you have the broker who is representing the seller, of course. So they're going to say lots of things and, and warrant it in a certain way. Uh, you know, not going to try to come out right and deceive you. But then really something that was interesting is the only person that really is on your side exclusively uh, as part of the, the process is your attorney who's helping you with it. Um, and, and that's an important thing to realize because you know, the lenders want to get the deal done. The brokers want to get the deal done. The sellers want to get the deal done. And most of the time you do. But um, the only person who's uh, who's maybe on your side exclusively is your attorney. So yeah. um, in my case, he was actually a former CFO. Uh, and so we had a lot of experience. He did a lot. He does a lot of different um, acquisitions. That's a, a, a decent part of where he likes to put some emphasis with his clients. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. he had done a time or two. So he was able to, to help me in that regard. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's getting familiar with the employees. You want to talk to them as much as you can. Some sellers are going to be more comfortable with that than others and, and the timing. Um, but maybe you no, don't speak with them directly, but, you know, you can get more, know a lot. Hey, do you have resumes from them? Can I see that? How long they've been with you? Give me a salary history. Um, any sort of HR um, you know, information that you have just to tell you the story of what your team, because especially in the small business world, you know, uh, your people are your business. Uh, that really yeah. is true. You can have our hard assets and tangibles in my case, you know, with a software company, a lot more intangibles than tangibles. Um, so the people are a huge core of it because as I said, you know, our go-to-market strategy is to work with our clients and that, that imp implies people, um, and so, you know, having a better confidence that you have retention there, that those people are satisfied and that you have the means by which to continue growing that as you acquire it is important. So I think that's one side, which is the people side, a uh, huge for small companies. Um, financially, of course, you, you get the, you get the records. Um, people don't tend to misrepresent a lot to the IRS. And so you want to get the actual filings and corporates, um, mm -hmm. the documents, and, you know, just bank statements. Hey, give me the checking account for the last three years. Is the money actually coming in, right? Can you see that? Um, mm -hmm. Things like that, that just sort of marry up and prove out financially. Uh, and then, you know, I had, you know, I had done a lot in, like I said, the business intelligence space. So I had, I had done a lot of reporting in my background, both for sales and, and, and all kinds of costs, uh, financial. So uh, I had built financial statements and reports in my past. Uh, from scratch. And so I had a decent sort of background coming in uh, to be able to understand financial statements uh, and dig into the details on it. 
What about the product itself? So this, as we keep saying, it's an older company, older piece of software. Uh, how did you get comfortable that it wasn't, you know, going to become obsolete or there wasn't, you know, a 50 million, like some startup, some SaaS startup funded with $50 million in VC who is coming after your lunch? Uh, yeah. Talk, talk to me about your comfort with it or, and, or like just yeah. tech, technical debt. Like, did you, are you worried you're going to have to rebuild the system or how, how did you convince yourself that you weren't, or just talk me through that stuff? Oh no. And, 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 you know, that's a good question because obviously, like I said, that's the, one of the key assets that there is, is the software. So I, I you know, I scheduled some demos and so very, very key people got to be aware of it. Like I said, I was very intimately familiar with ERP systems. And so as part of that demoing and reviewing the product, I could ask some good questions, the best of my ability, uh, and understand the architecture. So I was able to talk, you know, even I had some IT leadership roles in the past. So I knew the full stack, how does it work, you know, from the behind the scenes, uh, from the software point of view, uh, and was able to view it. Now, I, you know, I'll be honest with you, when I first saw it, I go, wow, you know, it's not modern at all. I mean, the yeah. interface, you know, we call it the lipstick on the pig problem, right? Is it, It's very... <laughs> It's very uh, well-featured, a lot of great options. It does a lot of good things. And experienced manufacturers, people, uh, the more uh, experienced they are and, and know truly what they need, the less that's critical for them. But it is a, a dated sort of platform that it, we, most of our clients are on today. That being said, you know, coming into it, you said technical debt. How are you going to move forward? Uh, you know, one of the things I launched within three, four months was we as I was meeting uh, some of our top clients and ones who would be, uh, we thought would be interested, uh, we met with them and we said, hey, we're going to work on a project to, to pivot uh, from this current platform into a web-based platform. And so we said, hey, instead of doing the cycle where you know we go off and, and, and develop it, and then we approach you about upgrading, you know, let's partner together so you can drive product direction. You can help us do it. Uh, and so we had clients sign up to do that. And so we're, you know, a year into a kind of a two and a half year process to migrate it from sort of a legacy, thick client-based solution onto a web-based solution. It's going really well. Nice. And before the acquisition, did you budget for that? I mean, it sounds like you're rebuilding the product from the ground up. Yeah. So, you know, you do as much as you can in terms of forecasting, um, and then you you get creative as you come in. So absolutely, I knew that a web push would have to be a critical element of it. Um, you know, partnering with with some of our customers was something that uh, was a great asset to both us and them to be able to help drive that uh, um, that effort. How long had Metasystems been on the market for sale? I, th- I the, it had been on the sale for I think it I, it was tried to be sold I think back in 2012. Um, if I recall, and then, uh, but I don't think it was on the market for that entire time. I think it came off the market for a period of time. And then it was, I think, I think listed for maybe six months to, to a year by the time uh, that I, I had sort of come around. You know, I had mentioned earlier. And so it was very ironic though, actually, I mentioned that business buying breakfast. That was that. And two of the presenters uh, there, like I said, were an attorney uh, and a lender with one of the SBA mm-hmm. lenders in the area. And it turns out that later on, when I found the Metasystems listing and so had kind of reached out and, and I think somehow had connected with the, the president of the Business Buying Brokers Association um, in town, he says, hey, wait a minute. It turns out that the, 
both the the lender and the attorney uh, had had worked with a previous um, basically potential buyer, and so they were very familiar with the business, uh, both from a financing point of view and uh, uh, in terms of the seller from a selling point of view, and so that that turned out to work out really well. It was very ironic but very favorable, and it sort of probably jump started the process a little bit. There was an initial comfort. And the lender himself, he was at a he was at a different bank than he was at the time when he dealt with it mm-hmm. the previous time. So that created a little bit of, of complexity. But otherwise uh, there was a lot of familiarity and it aided the process tremendously. I feel like going into that negotiation, you had a lot of wind at your back. I mean, it had been on the market for some time. Um, I mean, it had been on and off the market. And, you know, for for a software company to not sell really quickly, software is obviously a hot, hot commodity these days, software businesses. Um, and it probably meant that it wasn't super competitive. You were probably the only offer. You find you find this lender and an attorney who already knew the deal. You knew that there had been a buyer who a deal that had fallen through. So it just it feels like, you know, you could really um you were negotiating from a position of strength. I, you know, I, I really do uh, feel like that was the case. Um, of course, every broker wants to suggest there's, you know, dozens of buyers, uh, you know, lining up, uh, waiting. But that that's their job, right? And yeah. um, but but you're right. Uh, all those signals pointed that this was a good deal. Uh, but I also knew that this was something that was a strong, solid business. I did appreciate being familiar with the space that there was a lot of work ahead, and that was okay to me. That meant there was a lot of upside because. Yeah. Um, you know, if I, I had a seller at the time who was at retirement age and was planning on sort of moving on with their chapter uh, in the next chapter in his life. And so this was just a good opportunity to say, hey, uh, how am I going to take the reins on this and, and, and take it forward? Really, if you will, the next generation of Metasystems. Um, and there were also some key, uh, key uh, employees. Um, one key uh, employee who was, you know, within a year and a half of retirement at the time, and of course, going into that, say that's a little intimidating. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. having, but having gotten to know uh, this gentleman, uh, he's been a, a tremendous partner. Uh, it's a year and a half later, so he is a, uh, you know, semi-retired, uh, but you know, working on us uh, on a. a a part-time basis, helping the transition. Uh, you know, he loved the work, he loved the product, loved the clients, and uh, he's been a really good uh, partner in this transition. Did you know? As, did you uncover as part of your due diligence that there was this uh, key man, sort of key man risk that one, the second in command or the the main tech guy was going was a year and a half out from retirement? Absolutely, yeah. So that, okay, okay. So you planned from that from the day one. Absolutely. Getting, you know, getting a good understanding of the employee makeup, as I mentioned earlier, uh, that, that was a part of the due diligence process. Um, yeah. And uh, getting comfortable with that. And like I said, it's somebody in your shoes that didn't have uh, any maybe software, you know, experience or ERP experience. You know, th- that's what made to your point about the tailwinds is that you know, I was in a position where I had done manufacturing, I'd done ERP, I'd done a lot of peripheral systems integrated with those tools uh, that I think from a comfort level, I could come in where many other buyers, you know, may not have been comfortable taking on the reins for something uh, where it was. The the retiring owner that you, the seller, were they the founder? No. Uh, Metasystems has changed hands a couple of times. One of them happened and very abruptly, it was a, it was a pretty um, 
a pretty tough time, I think, um, just with health issues and things like that. But, but otherwise, there had been a lot of stability. You know, I still have employees that have been here over 30 years, uh, over 20 years. And so there's this, a lot of tenure and longevity. Um, and so, you know, it, I, it's been great working with all these individuals who, who, who have the history, have the knowledge, uh, and have the passion for this kind of work because it can be grueling sometimes, but every day is a different day and a new challenge. And having lots of clients to work with uh, is a good thing. Well, I, it, it gives you some further assurance. I mean, the 45 years is, is a really strong signal, but the fact that it's already gone through an ownership transition, that the business had already gone through an owner transition, ownership transition before or, or more than one, tells you that you know, it had survived a transition, sure. which some businesses don't. So that, that's a, another strong signal. Yeah. Not just that, but to endure, you know, you know, recessions and things like that. So yeah, yeah. It's gone, it had gone through several different cycles. Jason, we talked about you know you you really diligencing the team, the the, the employees, uh, the technical debt. Were there any other risks that you were particularly wary of, that, you know, during your due diligence that were that you were concerned about as you signed on the dotted line, or, or were those the big ones? Those those were certainly the big ones, and you know, you, there's only, for example, so much technical debt that you can assess, you know, going into yeah. it because it's yeah. you know. Uh, proprietary, you know, uh, things like that. But, um, th those were the, the key things is understanding the team. And, you know, the other thing when you had asked about, you know, what are the, you know, the criteria, for example, for looking for a business? Yeah. Yeah. You want something that's strong. And also knowing that, you know, ERP systems, you know, they take a long time, they take months, sometimes years, depending on the complexity of the business to, to one, both get on board and to really get, uh, where you need, you know, it could be as we do it sometimes as little as two, three months. Um, but uh, to my point with that is, is simply that this is something to invest in. And, you know, I, with my potential clients, I'm not creating a retail transaction. You know, we're working on a relationship that's going to span, uh, you know, a decade or more. And so, um, you know, looking at the clientele and saying, you know, our customers had, you know, last eight, in some cases, you know, 10, 20 years, uh, that gave a lot of assurance that, um, you know, change might happen, but change can't happen all at once, you know, with that, yeah. with all of our clients. Yeah. And so now that you, once you acquire the business, were there any challenges that, that materialized that you hadn't foreseen or, or were they basically, were they the things that you'd worried about? You, you knew, you knew that one of the key, the key personnel was going to be retiring in a year and a half COVID. What about, you know, what about the COVID effect? Like to, to tell us, what were the first six months like? Talk to me about that. The first six months really were, um, they were somewhat quiet at first. A lot of learning, digging in, learning the, the customer base. Um, the, the COVID effect, I think, right up into the point of transition, um, it was the middle of March 2020, uh, right before the world started considering a lot of uh, restrictions and things like that. Um, so from that point of view, you know, I think it was the weekend of close. I was having a conversation with my lender and he said, you know, I hadn't really heard anything, but for the first time today in one of our company calls, the CEO mentioned, hey, we, uh, if this thing continues, this might affect some of our lending decisions. And so, you know, that said, hey, let's get this thing done. Um, we had originally had a, a January 1st uh, close date that got postponed for, for various reasons. Uh, but at the end of the day, we, we made it happen in, in March. And then really, as it progressed into that, 
I think in some in some ways, um, you know, it created some demand from our clients. Not so much, you know, new clients. You know, that's uh, companies have plenty of things to worry about uh, in in the 2020 year that we had, rather than trying to maybe onboard a lot of ERP software, right? Because that, that's just adding a lot of you know a lot of decision points, a lot of uh, an investment. Uh, but it did create other demands like, hey, we have to, you know, there's supply chain impact that happened. How do I manage that, you know, with software? Maybe I needed some sort of COVID check-in screen or something like that uh, mm-hmm. as part of the timekeeping system. So there were some opportunities created as a result of that. Um, but all in all, um, things stayed strong. And, and, and because of a lot of our clients are infrastructure engineered, configured to order, it was either because they were infrastructure transportation. And so that wasn't really affected or disrupted. Or, or two, we've got some uh, trailer manufacturers that are more that, that are less on the, the infrastructure side and more on, uh, you know, farming and things like that. So that also helped, you know, some resilience in that space. But we also have clients that make sort of sports and, and leisure. And, you know, you may have seen some of the stories that was, you know, those industries were, were booming, had all kinds of backlog associated with them. And some of my clients still have months and months with the backlog in those spaces. So uh, it was very interesting dynamic and mix. Um, but overall, it, it was really not that disruptive from, from our point of view. Well, it sounds like it was good that you just hurried up and got the deal done because it, do you know then if the lender, if your lender, your lender's bank stopped lending for a time? I, I think lending in general, uh, you know, was, was affected. You know, you had PPP and and things like that sure. that were happening that banks were, were trying to coordinate. So the, the banks that worked in the uh, SBA space were very, very busy. Uh, and so whether or not it was lending decisions because of risk, uh, you know, I know that, you know, restaurant spaces and things like that uh, were certainly, uh, r- restaurants are always challenging uh, uh, from an acquisition and, and, and longevity point of view. Uh, but particularly uh, last year, that was the case. Uh, yeah. So I think it was probably a function one of just, you know, yeah, there's a lot going on, but also they had so many other, all their existing clients or previous clients all of a sudden had needs. And so that probably just shifted where some of the resources went. Sure. Can you tell us anything about the numbers of what what you acquired the business for, what the multiple was, what the, what the margins were on the business, any of that stuff? Yeah. So, uh, you know, ultimately acquired the business, uh, you know, like I said, I was targeting one to three range. So the, the final price was in that range. Um, ended up, of uh, doing an 80% SBA loan um, and then the 10% seller financing and 10% financing on my side. Um, and so, you know, that was uh, the cash flow supported that from the business point of view and, um, you know, margins, you know, in the, you know, net margins, 20, you know, 20, 30% range. Mm-hmm. And are you, did you pretty much immediately, were you able to replace the salary that you had when you were gainfully employed, traditionally employed, right? After you became owner of Metasystems? Yeah. Your own question. salary? Yeah, no, it was it was not quite exactly where it was before. And and that was due to a couple of reasons. Um, one, you got this nice new, you know, loan you got to pay back. Uh, but two, <laughs> um, uh, as we mentioned with some of the personnel, I knew that I had to start a transition process immediately for some for the one individual that was looking to retire in the short term, and so yeah. I had to take some of that cash flow 
that maybe otherwise could have gone to me to to work on hiring uh, not just one but really two replacements um, to focus one on the you know sort of a business uh, requirements business analyst point of view and on the flip side more of a technical development resource and so in the interim that you know that uh, you know that that tied up cash flow a little bit but um, so you pretty we, much you pretty much quickly hired two people or within a few months hired two additional people uh, yeah. two two more people on payroll after acquisition so yeah that would that would put a ding in your cash flow for sure absolutely yep well Jason now that you're on the other side of an acquisition how do you feel about the concept in general like talking to your you know your, yourself of two years ago before you started on this path uh, what would you say I'd say it's uh, you know I've been asked several times you know hey if you had, if you could do it all over again would you choose to my answer has always been absolutely yes uh, I've um, it's it, it's been a lot of work uh, the 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 due diligence process trying to make the thing close that can be really nerve-wracking at times because you never know there's so many aspects that you don't know what could happen something can happen to the business the lending institution uh, you, you really just don't know um, and then coming into it, a lot of hard work, but a lot of great people, a lot of great clients. I've enjoyed every minute of it, but um, has it been super easy? No, but that's part of why I went into it because I said, hey, if I'm going to help rebuild something, uh, it, I'd rather it be something of my own than something of someone else's. Yeah. Is there any advice that you might have for for the Jason of two years ago or anybody else out there looking to buy a business or if, if this is the first time this this episode has been forwarded to somebody uh, by somebody else who thinks that they should buy a business, what would you tell that person? I would say, you know, really keep your options open. And I, I tried really hard to, to do this. Um, but when you when you do see a business that you say, man, this is really intriguing. It aligns well with my skill set. Um, it's hard, but you never know where it might fall apart. Any number of reasons, as I just mentioned, could happen. So even yeah. even when you are getting closer and closer to a finish line, you know, keep the process, you know, going. Um, the process I, of other deals. Keep your your own other pipeline deals, full. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, keep the pipeline coming uh, because you just don't know what could happen. Um, also, just you know, even framing the relationship, like I had mentioned. Hey, know that the attorney is the only person really. Not on your side. Everyone wants the deal to happen, but aligning, you know, uh, what what their you know uh, end zones are, right, yeah, is a really yeah. fundamental part of it. And you know, learning to use maybe sooner sooner rather than later. Um, one thing about, especially in the small business space, most sellers are first time sellers. Most buyers are first time buyers, and mm -hmm. so it could, that can be intimidating for you. But it also creates a, a little bit of, uh, of rapport, I think, if you acknowledge it early on, maybe with the people that you're looking to acquire the business from, because you know they, you know they're new to this process just like you are, and if you can, you know, kind of uh, indulge that together, I think mm -hmm. it helps sort of frame the relationship a little bit. Um, obviously, you're still you're still after your own interests, but to know that you're both sort of in the spot for the first time, uh, I think is productive, and then also. You know, with that being said, depending on who you have helping you, you might you might you might be going it alone for most of the due diligence. Like I said, I had a partner in it, but there's only so much that that person can do, and so it still mostly falls on you. So learning when when to escalate, um, 
you know, I think there were times where we probably could have had our, our attorneys, you know, sitting down. Um, that would have been worth the investment to have them sitting down maybe earlier in the process. Um, because, you know, the documents get floated, you know, back and forth. And um, sometimes I think everyone finds themselves waiting on somebody and sometimes keeping track of who's waiting on who is the biggest challenge, right? Um, so, you know, learning learning to use the levers um, at the right time. I think the broker can be a really good lever, right? Just like real estate, you know, people say, at the end of the day, does the purchase price matter to the broker? Yeah, a little bit, but right. But they've got a pipeline full of deals they're working to close. So obviously, you know, a hundred thousand dollar difference in price means a whole lot more to the seller than it means to the broker. It means yeah. something to the broker, right? But it means a lot more to the seller. And so, you know, learning that perspective and being able to pull levers with that. And so sometimes there were hurdles I ran to with the seller, uh, maybe just a function of the fact that he, like most of them, was a first time seller. Right. And so when you when you run into something that you kind of you deem to be a process problem, that's when you got to start maybe talking to the broker and saying, hey, I think there's a breakdown here, or getting your attorney talking to theirs, or your attorney talking to the the you know, the broker, your lender talking to their, you know, broker, just really trying to keep those communication channels open because sometimes it's just a misunderstanding on what's required. And it sounds like what you're saying is that like you should really maybe not announce this to everybody involved, all the stakeholders, but to yourself, kind of see yourself as the project manager of this deal. And and when things drag or when it, when you suspect there might be ambiguity as to whose turn it is or the ball in is, whose court is the ball in, you just default to yourself to be like, I'm going to keep this thing moving forward. I'm not assuming that somebody, that there's some referee out there doing it. It's on me to keep this deal moving forward. Absolutely. I think that's a great takeaway is uh, just, you You know, at the end of the day, the seller wants to make it happen, but depending on, like you said, where the deal's been at, how long it's been on the market, it, it might just be that the seller is, is uh, fatigued in the process. You know, yeah. The employees, depending on how they're involved, they are with pulling financial data or right, everyone could just be a little bit of burnout. So you're, you're the new one in the process. Um, and yeah, if you want to make it happen, sometimes you have to keep it going. So I think that's a great way to frame it. Cool. Jason, if uh, other would-be buyers out there want to get a hold of you, what would be the best way? I think you know we've got access with metasystems.com. We've got a LinkedIn page. Um, I've got a personal LinkedIn page that they could find me on, and that would okay. be a good way to reach out. All right. I'll link to that show notes for sure. Jason, this has been great. Thank you very much for sharing and congratulations on your acquisition. Thank you so much, Will. I've had a great uh, time in this session and uh, hope we can talk again sometime. I, I look forward to it. <laughs>